Welcome to the Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where the conversation is always hot and fresh. Comfort food for your soul is always on the menu, and friends are close enough to hug. Pull up a chair. We've been waiting just for you. Welcome to Encouragement Cafe. I'm Luann Prater. And I'm Rachel Olson. And Luann, last night, my daughter Elena was home, and she had her friend Haley over with her. And Elena is um, so flexible, and she's in great shape. And she has this thing where almost every night in the evening, she does these headstands. She stands on her head, and she says it just helps her to feel better and stretch out. And um, so Haley and I are sitting on the floor watching. And we're all three just chatting and watching Elena. She decides to climb up into one of her headstands and she's in this headstand forever. And she's posing her legs this way and that way. And um, I am a former gymnast. I grew up doing competitive gymnastics, but it has been a long time since I was in a headstand. But watching her do that, it was like all of my competitive instincts came back. And when she and Haley left the room uh, later on, do you know what I did? I climbed down. I stuck my head on the floor. And I tried to do the world's best headstand. (laughs) There was no one there to dispute. There was nobody there to dispute my claim that it was the world's best headstand. (laughs) And it's a good thing because I feel quite sure any witness would have said that was not the world's best headstand. Uh, you know, and it was like it was like my competitiveness. I can do that. I can still do that. I can do that better than her. She's my child. I, I can do this. So um, then this morning, I'm reading in my in my C.S. Lewis devotional, um, and I read what uh, what Lewis wrote about <laughs> pride. This is what he wrote. He said, now what I want you to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature, while the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. Then Mr. Lewis goes on and he says this. He says, the vain person wants praise, applause, admiration, too much and is always angling for it. And so, you know, I will just liked the way that he put that because he said that the, the, the vanity, that it's not necessarily, this is what I take from that, it's not necessarily our impulse to want uh, to praise and add a girl a good job, to want some applause, um, that that's not necessarily the problem. Those impulses in us, it's when we want it too much and when, it's, we're, when we're always angling for it. Um, you know, when we sort of are constantly posturing or, and jockeying and fishing for the compliment and trying to make sure that we're seen in the best light, um, which I think is in, you know, in our, our social media kind of laden world where everybody's Instagramming their perfect life. <laughs> I think that kind of comes out in us, right, to try and show ourselves from, you know, we take 14 selfies so we can get the one from our best angle with the best lighting where we look the best kind of a thing so anyway yeah so that was what that was what I did last night my pride did a headstand (laughs) I love that well you know everybody does it and Jesus even talked about this in Matthew 23 you know he was teaching and 
he started talking about the Pharisees and he described how they acted. And he said, you know, your behavior is kind of the opposite of humility because they do everything for show. They take the best seats. They wear the biggest tassels on their garments and they demand respect when they walk around. So Jesus was saying, that's not the way to behave. Instead, follow my example. And if you look at Jesus's example, he was born in a lowly barn and he never bragged. And he tells his followers, hey, whoever's the greatest should serve others. So when we look at what Jesus taught, he knew all about humility because he was the example. For some reason, it just sort of makes me giggle to think of grown men in robes with tassels and competing over who has the the fanciest robe and the largest <laughs> tassel. But that is human nature. It really is. And yeah, the Pharisees are, while Jesus is the perfect example of humility for us in the scriptures, the Pharisees are definitely the prime example of pride. In Luke 14, a prominent Pharisee invites Jesus and some other religious mm -hmm. leaders, other Pharisees and whatnot, to a dinner party at his house. They weren't really eager to spend time with him. They were really trying to sort of trick him into breaking a religious law so they could arrest him for it and sort of get him out of their hair. Because this dinner party was held on the Sabbath, which was, you know, a, a holy day of rest. And, you know, all of their customs at the time were you were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And they had invited a sick man to in attend the dinner as well. And they considered healing someone work that you were not supposed to do on the Sabbath. And they had a feeling based on the fact that Jesus healed people everywhere he went, that Jesus would heal him. And then they thought we'll be able to sort of bust him and arrest him. It, it, it seems so ludicrous to us now, right? You're going to arrest God for healing someone on the Sabbath when God made the Sabbath. Like that's, you know, but at the time that this was, they, they had him cornered and they were so excited. So Jesus did what they expected. Of course, he healed the man. He took compassion on them. But then he surprised him, uh, surprised them all. And, you know, said that he was showing compassion to someone in need. And then it was like, that doesn't violate Sabbath law any more than helping your young son up when he falls down. That's the analogy he had used. And I'm sure that every man in that room at some time or another had helped a young child up. Right. At some point on a, on a Sabbath day, a toddler had fallen, a child had fallen, and they had reached down and shown compassion and scooped him up. Um, and he said, if you want to call this work, then that, too, is work. Rachel, I know that when I have purposely put God first, then I've seen the results in tangible ways. And I'm not I'm not one to say, you know, if I pray, something's going to happen for my benefit, but what I, what I am saying is that when I have made a conscious decision to say, okay, God, I, am, I don't understand, but I am going to put you first in this uh, circumstance, in this situation, and I'm going to trust that it's all going to work out, I can stand back a, a day later, a week later, a month later, and I can see how God actually worked it out better than I could have ever manufactured it on my own. 
I agree with you. You know, I have uh, some friends I know just recently won the $10 million lottery. And, you know, uh huh. So it's easy for me to go, God, <laughs> how about I'm going to put this money in this offering plate? And then how about you send me one of them $10 million lottery tickets? Whoa. You know, we dream up ways that we could be blessed. And then, of course, we tell God, if you gave me the $10 million ticket, I would give so much money away. Um, we, we, isn't funny how we kind of angle, right, for what we want. Uh, we want too much, and we're always angling for it, as C.S. Lewis said. But you're right. When we do sort of humble ourselves and we put God first and we trust Him with whatever He chooses to dole out, we decide to be satisfied with whatever it is that God allows into our lives, um, very often we find a great deal more pleasure living that way than if we angled our way into a $10 million lottery winning. You know, that's so funny because you see that play out from the very youngest people to the elderly around us and, and in our own lives. I will never forget being in um, a grocery store out of town and I was buying some things. I was at the hospital and buying some things for some people and so my mind was elsewhere but there's little girl and her very elderly grandmother, probably a great grandmother in front of me in the line and the little girl was just totally out of control, probably six or eight years old and yelling at the grandmother, stomping her feet, demanding that she have what she wanted. And the grandmother said, honey, you have not been good through the entire grocery store. I am not getting you anything. And she continued to throw a fit and throw a fit. And the grandmother said, hand me, hand me things out of the cart so we can put them on the, on the conveyor belt. And the little girl picks up an onion and just lobs it at the grandma Grandma is already bent over and having a hard time standing up straight. And she, she almost catches the grandma off guard, almost hits her. But grandma catches the onion and puts it on the belt. And the little girl said, I want this candy right now. And she said, honey, you haven't been good. So I am not giving it to you. And the little girl said, I will be good. I will be good. And she's stomping her foot. And I'm... I've kind of been watching, and I'm kind of in, been in this daze because I've been sitting in a hospital, and, and I really see, you know, this kind of going out of control right in front of me, and the little girl's stomping her feet saying, I'll be good, I'll be good, I'll be good. And something came over me, and I looked at the little girl right in the eye, and I said, no, you won't. You will not be good. You just had an opportunity to be good when you could have handed the onion to your grandmother, but you did not choose well. You did not act good. So your grandmother's doing the right thing by not giving it to you. (laughs) And then I realized, oh my goodness, I just said that out loud. (laughs) And and it was like I came out of this fog and, and I looked at the grandmother and she's staring at me and I said, I understand because I have 10 grandchildren. And she said, thank you. She's just had a rough day today. But, you know, I believe that sometimes we do that with God. We stand there and and we stomp our foot and we say, hey, I'm putting money in the offering plate. Why can't I get 
those benefits of of having all of the abundance fall on me and and we have those moments when we try to demand what we want from God and we show our prideful self when we do that and we say God I I've got a way and and if you just bless what I've already decided is the right way then we'd all be happy and God says no no that's not the way it works and I think of John the Baptist you know, John the Baptist, he was an important person in the New Testament. I mean, he was a cousin of Jesus, and and he was proclaiming that there was a Messiah coming, and everybody was flocking to John the Baptist. And then Jesus shows up. And instead of John being prideful and saying, wait a minute, why are people leaving me and going to him? No, that's not what John said. He said, he must increase. And I must decrease. And sometimes it's hard for us to embrace that. But oh, what a beautiful prayer. If we, if we said, Lord, I want to make Jesus increase and I will decrease and I don't have to have my way. I want your way instead. You know, it feels like a concession we are making oftentimes, right? It feels like I have to make this sacrifice of laying down my pride um, in order to be um, God-focused and to be humble. It feels like I'm laying down whatever power I have and just being at the total mercy (laughs) of the wind, so to speak, right? So, Right. That's the way it has, has it struck me at times for sure. And what really helped me was to understand um, sort of what the word humble means. You know, Jesus says in his famous beatitude speech, God will bless those who are humble. The earth will belong to them, right? Blessed are the humble for they shall inherit the earth. And in some translations, it, instead of the word humble there, it uses the word meek, you know, um, Blessed are the meek in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. Um, And meek sounds lowly and weak to me. It even rhymes with weak. Um, But it's not at Mm -hmm. all. When you look at the meaning of the word, it's almost the opposite. It is... It is great strength under control. It is power under restraint. It is having all the strength and power... And then having even more power on top of that, that allows you to control it, to be self-controlled and not to be impulsive with it or to um, use it incorrectly. So when you think about humility or or meekness as, as being great power that is controlled and under restraint, that's exactly what Jesus was. Jesus was God and he was in complete self-control. Satan tempts him right? Comes to him in the desert, says, hey, you know, do this, do that. You're God, make yourself your own food. Um, you know, make, you know, make the, and, and Jesus could have like totally given himself the $10 million winning lottery ticket. 
Um, but he didn't. He was such power under constraint. He exhibited such self-control and such um, all of his, his power was used for the good of God and the good of others. So that helps me when I think about what it means to be humble. It doesn't mean I have to be powerless and floating in the wind at the com- complete mercy of anything that happens to me in my day. No, I am powerful. I am a child of God. You know, the Bible says that we, you know, the children of God can do all the things that we have the same power uh, available to us that was available to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Um, But so we operate in power and in that truth, but we do it in a way that is controlled and that is God focused and other focused. Well, that is absolutely spot on. And when you think about like the very first prideful act was when Adam and Eve wanted to control their own destiny. And you you look at us and the world around us right now, and we are such a self-centered, self-focused, wanting to choose our own destiny world that we are exactly like that. We're very full of our own pride and wanting to do things our way. And God is so gracious and (laughs) patient with us in saying, no, if you just let me show you, it's going to be so much better if you allow me to be the strength and not you. If you allow me to not make you weak, but to make you stronger by allowing me to be the power in your life, you're going to see that life goes so much better because I'm right there with you. You know, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he describes the difference between true humility and false humility. Because sometimes in, in the church, I see a lot of what maybe feels like false humility. I see a lot of what, like we... It's like we check the box of give God the credit, but it doesn't really ring true. But um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so sometimes I, I like to, to return to this uh, quote by C.S. Lewis because it helps me remember the difference mm-hmm. between true humility and false humility. And this is what Lewis says. He says, don't imagine that if you meet a really humble person, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of smarmy, greasy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seems a cheerful, intelligent man who took a real interest in you and what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. I love that. And that is the example of true humility when you are others focused. I wonder if people that are truly humble and have humility, if they have very many mirrors in their home, (laughs) you know, because how many times do you see any of us walk by a mirror and check to see if the hairs are in place or things are are looking just the way we want, just like you were talking about a selfie. But when you see someone that is truly humble, 
I think of some friends of mine who were missionaries and they didn't have a mirror. They didn't even really know what they looked like because they really didn't think about that. They pulled their hair back in a ponytail and they took off and went to work doing things for others in the village. And I look at them as an example of someone who really did put others first. And I'm not saying we all need to go to the mission field to make that happen, but what a good example. Um, You and I went to Ecuador together with Compassion International, and we visited some of the poorest of the poor in the area that we were in. Um, You know, makeshift huts with with dirt floors, um, definitely low income, definitely what we would say low opportunity, right? There were no um, opportunities coming their way. There were no lottery tickets. and what I what struck me though was um, how happy so many most probably ninety five percent of the people seemed to be in those circumstances. We sometimes sit in our nice warm homes with our 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 televisions and our dishwashers and our you know laundry machines and our comfy sofas, and we sit here depressed and unhappy about how our lives are going. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was just amazed at how happy they were despite their circumstances. But one of the things that I definitely took note of was the fact that none of those homes had a mirror. And it made me wonder, how much happier might I be if I never had to see my face? (laughs) Um, I know. I know. It just removes the self-consciousness, I think, is what it is. is To be... It is a a good thing. Uh, Ignorance is bliss when you're being... um, ignorant of your own self, you know, that self-consciousness that goes away. Well, as you're quoting C.S. Lewis, here's one of his quotes, humility is having a right view of ourselves in relation to God and others and acting accordingly. So when you look through all of, you know, Romans, especially the 12th chapter, is it talks about how we are to serve one another. And when we serve and we do for one another, now you and I in Ecuador saw the, the parents serving their children and doing for their community and their village, and everybody was working together to make it work. So I, I think of those terms, how you can be happy and you can be fulfilled if you measure your life in relation to God. Like if we have that right view and we look at God and others and then ourselves in that order, I think that then we'll understand what Jesus was talking about. So there's our challenge for today to try and take our focus off ourself and our own self-consciousness, not in order to be a humble person, because then our focus is still on ourself when we're trying to be a humble person, but to just place our focus on God and others and live accordingly. And may the God of hope give you the courage to encourage others. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us today at Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where women gather, friends laugh, and hearts mend. Let's continue our conversation. Hop online when you get a chance to sit down and breathe at encouragementcafe.com. Remember, this is God's ministry, so we ask for your prayers as we reach out to women in Jesus' name. We'll see you back here next week where we fill you up one cup at a time.